Well, that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. Uh, remember, we'll be back. Uh, we're here every weekday nights uh, at 630. Local news and information is keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Never miss any episode of this program. Uh, subscribe to our podcast at WJFFradio.org or wherever you get podcasts from the local edition from Radio Catskill. Stay tuned. Sabrina Artel trailer talk coming right up. Support comes from Bethel Woods Center for the Arts, presenting Grammy-nominated global music sensation Celtic Woman on their all-new tour, Postcards from Ireland, Sunday, June 5th. Tickets available beginning Friday at 10 a.m. BethelWoodsCenter.org. WJFF Jeffersonville. You're listening to Radio Catskill. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I'm Sabrina. This is Trailer Talk, and I'm so excited to be speaking with Janine Hayes and Brian Mason from Afro Chic. This is a project that they created. It has many parts, and we're going to talk about what Afro Chic is. They are a husband and wife team working together. They are in Napanock, New York, in Ulster County. Afro Chic is a project that I became very interested in, and I've been following Janine and Brian for a while. They are a modern design and media project that celebrates the African diaspora. And they state that they support anti-racism to raise awareness and share information about justice and equality. So we're looking at aesthetics, design, media. We're looking at this project that through many different angles, they are expressing their commitment and their dedication to uh, racial representation, to equity, and to dealing with justice, but across this kind of world of objects and aesthetics. And so I welcome you both, Janine and Brian. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. You're welcome. My name's Janine Hayes. I'm a former policy attorney who now just, you know, sort of works, like I said, in this world of media and design. It's interesting because my experience really was uh, working on things like the Violence Against Women Act in uh, California and in Washington, D.C. But for me, design was always very much an outlet um, something that I did as a hobby that has kind of taken over our lives at this point in, in some really interesting ways. Yeah, both of our lives. Uh, my name is Brian Mason. And um, like Janine, I'm not a designer by training. Neither of us were designers by training. This is really a, an instance where uh, her passion kind of took over both of our lives. Before this, I was a, uh, a an aspiring academic. Uh, I was picking up master's degrees in, in pursuit of an eventual PhD. In what, Brian? Uh, my first master's degree was in systematic philosophical theology. So I oh, actually went wow. to the Graduate Theological Union out in Berkeley, California, and um, say an academic degree. So uh, I'm not a minister or don't run churches, but just sort of theology and its uh, its applications. And then the other part, so actually then uh, GTU is actually right across the street, so to speak, from uh, UC Berkeley. 
So then I went to UC Berkeley for a, a master's degree in African diaspora studies and uh, was working on my PhD. And uh, by around that time, we started Afro-Chic while we were going through that. And uh, I just finished my comps and was ready to start writing my dissertation when we got the offer to write our first book around uh, Afro-Chic and interior design. And so kind of decided that that was the direction to go in. So the book you're referring to is Remix Decorating with Culture, Objects, and Soul? Yes, yes, yeah, it's our first that, book. Our first book, mm-hmm. and we're now working on our second book. But yeah, that first book was such an exciting, unexpected journey. And like Brian said, he was working on the PhD. And always when you know, you're working on your PhD, the, one of the goals is to be published. And it was like, well... You don't even have to go to, you don't even have to finish the program for this. We can, you can get published. Um, But I think a lot of his study um, and his work very much fits into sort of the DNA of the brand itself and that we're looking at design, but design is just sort of the lens for us to talk about the diaspora and our culture in the world. Sometimes it's very interesting to people because Afro Chic is this sort of home brand, but home is actually where it all begins. Begin. It's where we learn our values. It's where we learn about who we are. It's where it's our safest space. It's our our space as children. We're growing up and reading and and learning about this world that we're one day going to enter. Um, And so a lot of the things that we talk about and discuss in Afro Chic really does start at home in our own homes and the conversations that we had growing up about race and justice and, and our value systems and really bringing that out uh, into the world now. And a lot of it kind of rotates around this idea of like deepening the concept of design, what it stands for. Uh, I can honestly say that before Afro chic and I was not a design oriented person at all. It was, you know, the design of a room, what was in it was not something that, kind of uh, crossed into my consciousness. But um, so everything I know about design now, which has become a lot over the years, uh, I learned it all from Janine over the, the course of us, you know, doing Afro Chic. But more than that, we sort of started to take a deeper look at what design is and what it means. And so from that, realizing that design is this intensely, very specifically human thing to do. Like, there's no other animal on the planet that does design in the way that we do, and that can attach meaning kind of tied up in this human capacity for symbolism to say, you know, this color means this to me, or this rug was designed with, from this culture with this idea in mind. And so because of that, it became this way of looking at the way that all of these different aspects of our lives connect. They become this, this mm-hmm. place where it comes together. As we were saying, home is this place where even as adults, you experience so much of it, whether it's fashion, science, technology, music, literature, all these are things that you can experience in your home. And all of these are things that are represented your feelings, your preferences, your views on them, but also the culture that you come from and the things that formed you are also represented in your home. So using your home to tell your story, creating a space around you that reflects who you are, but then also understanding home and design as this form of symbolism, as this this way of either stating or in some cases remembering, all of it becomes... Mm powerful in a way of looking at sort of the larger processes of history and society that are going on around us all the time. I connect to this so deeply because with trailer talk itself, there's the idea of the kitchen table and coming together and the symbol of home. Also thinking of my own home, you know, I have objects that are from my family that come from the past, you know, deceased family members, and they are embedded And then thinking of design as you're sharing 
with us, Brian, as kind of aspirational, also about remembrance, as you were saying. Absolutely. Like you said, having those heirlooms, having those pieces around you, even those pieces, those ancestral pieces can be very encouraging um, as you're doing your work or whatever it is that you are doing within your home. But one of the things that Brian and I reflected on in our work also as African-Americans is, um, and, and as the descendants of slaves, is that we don't have a lot of heirlooms because after slavery and after emancipation, people had nothing. I mean, there really wasn't like you weren't like carrying off with like items. Slave quarters were very small. It wasn't like you were able to have, you know, a lot of your own effects. And when the plantations basically let slaves out of those plantation centers, basically people were put out onto the street with with very little. A lot of people died. But those people who were able to survive took what very little they had and were able to eventually get land and and build a little bit. The idea of sort of long-term heirlooms that we have friends that have heirlooms that are hundreds of years old because they can look back at their family from Europe or from other places in the world. We don't have those. So those small things like some family pictures um, that you might find of your parents from like the 60s or 70s, or my father collected a lot of black sculpture and art pieces. Those things become so critically important to hold on to um, because they're the bits that the family is sort of now building as it's building its own story. We want to give voice to that. Uh, Sometimes people don't even have those items, but we want to encourage people to you can go and you can actually identify new sculptures, new pieces. Maybe it's books that your parents were avid readers and you want to bring that into your home. And that becomes that heirloom or maybe it's music. Both Brian and I grew up on a healthy dose of Motown and the (laughs) Philadelphia sound because we're from Pennsylvania. And so there's that way of bringing something into your home that is enriching, that helps you express your culture. That's also very nurturing for you. And we want people to understand that that all of that is very important to be able to craft um, a space that helps you move forward. One of the things that's been really great with AfroChic is we really did start in some ways as a, a project on a representation, just kind of originally it was a block, just showcasing the presence of, of people of color in the design industry before we became part of the industry really ourselves. But going back and kind of realizing the, the depth and the diversity of the, the African-American and the Black American experiences who are not at all points equivalent, and really seeing that for as much as you can say, yes, there, there, there was that experience, you know, post-emancipation, post-bellum, where we had... Um, you know, the people who were in the streets and, and basically acting as, as refugees and, and moving around the, the country. You also have those people, you had, you know, free communities. For example, Philadelphia, where we're from, had a, a free, educated, middle-class, African-American community well before the end of the Civil War. Now, that may not have translated into, like, long-term heirlooms for all of us, but it did turn, translate into a legacy of education, a legacy of freedom, you know, these these different aspects that kind of like translate as, as part of who we are. And then you do have some people who may have uh, a photo of a relative from, you know, the, the point where the advent of photography back in the 1800s, or mm. you might have somebody who has a, um, a shawl, you know, one of the things that was great when um, the Smithsonian opened the, the National Museum of African American History was they were able to get heirlooms from people from all over the country donated and said, you know, 
this is something that's been in my family for a few hundred years or things like that. So, you know, to an extent, those things do exist. But by and large, yes, it was very difficult for us to kind of hold on to heirlooms, which, again, does make them so much more important as we go forward. How do you move forward with that, kind of acknowledging this history that you're sharing, a legacy of those who were enslaved? How do you move forward then, as you say, with how you're then constructing and raising awareness for your audiences around this diaspora, around how it connects to the personal and to certainly a history in the United States? I think that, you know, one of the ways that you move forward is in the way that we do as a brand is celebration. Um, celebration of our history, our legacy as Black people, and our resilience. And so AfroChic has really now become uh, more than, you know, just doing design or even talking about design. We actually have a quarterly magazine um, where we write about sort of every aspect of the, of the African diaspora and Black lifestyle. It's a celebration of all these things we talked about that's part of the home experience of music, food, interior design, literature, um, scholarship, all of that is a part of Afrochic magazine. And then we have a section of the magazine where we actually talk about the Black family home and that story of the Black family home, because the Black family home is not just the story of our ancestors. It is the story of America. Um, It is the story of slavery, of emancipation, of the Great Migration, and then even of the Civil Rights Era, the Fair Housing Act, to the 80s and 90s, in which we were able to become major homeowners in this country, to now where we actually see homeownership of Black Americans dropping off. And so we're excited because that's what our second book is about, It's coming out this fall, and it is about the legacy of the Black family home. It's spotlighting and showcasing homes from all over the country and the stories of homeowners, the stories and histories of their families. But it's also a design book where we're talking a lot about history and really getting people to understand that Black people in America have been on an extraordinary journey that really lets us learn about our country, about the fight for freedom, about gaining rights, about all these all these things that actually we're all talking about very much today as we're kind of looking at a time that for many people reflects the 60s or 70s. And so, you know, design, again, is that lens, the home is that lens, but it becomes a space where we can actually begin to have a much wider discussion um, about our our diaspora. History is definitely a big part of Afro-Chic and kind of understanding. So part of how we go forward is actually by going further back, a wider purview and the ability to put things in context. So on a large enough scale saying, understanding that slavery is not the beginning of African history, although it could arguably be the beginning of the African diaspora, of of African-American, Caribbean, those history of the people who were dispersed by the transatlantic slave trade. But going back even further, recognizing that having a history that begins in that way is not in itself unique in that most of the major nations of Europe, you know, England, France, Germany, Spain, were at all points, to some extent, more or less enslaved to the Roman Empire. So that process has been repeated in other people. You know, the, the term, the word slave is rooted in Slav because 
Eastern Europeans were largely considered the slaves of the Roman Empire and so on. So kind of having that wider view of history changes your starting and ending points for certain things. Mm. And then understanding that, that going from that, you know, taking a closer look and being able to diversify beyond sort of the, the stereotypes that make up what was generally considered common knowledge to understand the, the wider diversity of the experiences that actually make up life for any, any group of people. Mm-hmm. You know? So the idea to say that for certain groups, you know, that there's a diversity of experiences expected. It's broad. It's, it's understood. But and in many cases to say something similar for African-Americans uh, becomes questionable. You know, you go, well, because we have this understanding that there's one black experience, you know, we talk about slavery, but again, that's why it's important to talk about the people who were whole free communities before slavery. At the same time, as you're talking about the trajectory that has constituted what we call the African-American journey to home, it's important to understand the, the roadblocks and the obstacles that have been put in the way of that, because they very much resemble the roadblocks and the obstacles that make up the current moment. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll fall into the trap of looking at this moment now and saying, OK, this is what it is sort of in isolation without recognizing that this moment is made up of all of the moments that have gone before. And so we make these, these mistakes of going, well, okay, well, there's a, now we're looking at, as Janine said, a point where African-American homeownership is at its lowest point since about the, the end of the Second World War. So before the signing of the Fair Housing Act, we'll attribute this to, all, to a number of, of elements, a number of, of catalysts going on now without looking at the ways in which there have been intentional acts of disenfranchisement aimed at African-Americans trying to own homes for the entirety of the, the lifespan of America. So understanding those things sort of in their context makes them easier to understand, easier to begin to talk about. And it also allows you to sort of put things in their proper place as, as you're going forward and, and developing this, these new ideas for the future. Thank you, Brian, so much. I think that, and and Brian can definitely jump in, I think that, you know, right now in this moment where we're dealing with a major uh, global pandemic, one of the things that we're seeing is Black people not being able to hold on to their homes. A lot of people all over the country, Black, brown, white, are suffering, you know, under the weight of economically what something like a global pandemic can do. Um, however, what we're seeing is that people who are black and brown are suffering even more so and needing strategic help to be able to really continue to have home ownership and make that dream completely possible. In the context of this design and what we're doing with AfroChic, we actually can begin to talk to our audience about mm-hmm. those types of issues. Um, we can talk to our audience about even today, we had you know this big push. This is MLK Day, a big push for voting rights. We talk about that with our audience as well, because even though we might be talking about things in the context of home, like I said, home is where all of this sort of begins for Black people. It's where these conversations happen. And so we want to make sure that our audience is knowledgeable and that they feel like they can go out and fight for things like fair housing today, that they can fight for equity, that they can fight for justice. It's interesting because we can have that conversation, though, in the context of something that's still beautiful and inspiring and aspirational, um, which I think is critically important. Uh, We've been reflecting a lot on Martin Luther King just this, this month in general. And one of the things that 
he understood and that people in the civil rights era understood was that creativity itself was in working with creative people was something that was very much a big part of the movement, that it was working with artists and was working with writers and it was working with great creative minds that could inspire people. And that's what we really try to do with AfroChic as well. You know, if we can show you an amazing uh, songwriter and then in that discussion about that songwriter, we can have a conversation about race and justice and equity in the world of music. Uh, we can talk about food, but then we can actually end up talking about food history and the history of food. And then also the food justice and the diaspora right. yes. that is beginning to embrace food justice in different ways globally. And so it's, the creative is sort of how we sort of start the conversation, but then we can begin to have a much broader dialogue that centers around the things that are very much Brian and I's values um, as a law, as a former attorney and as an academic in African diaspora studies of being able to have conversations that really lead to impactful change in the lives of everyone who follows and is a part of, of AfroChic. One of the things that we kind of makes up the, the basis of the understanding for Afro-Chic is that design is a cultural artifact. And as such, every cultural artifact is connected to every other cultural artifact, you know, for any given society group of people. So if we're talking about the, the food that we eat or if we're talking about the music we listen to, all of these things are, are sort of, you know, they've developed over time for this particular group of people for a particular set of reasons. And design works the same way. You know, like we can talk about the history of Scandinavian design or sort of like the, the the nature of Scandinavian design as we understand it now without talking about World War II in the way that, you know, Scandinavian design changed after that to become this more streamlined, simplified, accessible aesthetic that we all love today, where it was very, very, you know, uh, ostentatious and real and royal and, and flamboyant before that because, you know, it was the design of kings and of the aristocracy and things like that. So doing that with Afro-Chic, it becomes this way of saying, okay, understanding really that everything is designed, not that everything is interior design, but everything that we have as people is designed. Mm-hmm. You know, whether yes. we're talking about our idea of what a house is, you know, the house, the idea of a house is not only designed, but it's, it's culturally specific because what we think a house or a building is, what the image that comes into our head when we hear that word now is totally different than what it might've been in Japan in the 1500s or Somalia in the 1100s or in Spain in the 1300s, something like that. Totally different, entirely culturally based. So whether we're talking about something as tangible as a house or something as nebulous as uh, an economy, it's all design because basically we make it up. And because of that, you know, that's why we are sort of not only, you know, kind of like the architects of the shape, but also responsible for its consequences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that is becomes a very big part of what we talk about with AfroChic and the need to be able to see that clearly and to understand not only the role that we have in creating and, and shaping realities, but the responsibility that we have for their outcomes. So that's significant when we think about Martin Luther King. It becomes a very, very specific, right, significant to this moment. Because we have what we've seen is sort of like the the widespread domestication of the image and the message and the memory of who Martin Luther King was. We see it on uh, placemats for burgers, for you know, for burger places. We see it, you know, 
trotted out uh, on by sports, you know, organizations for like, oh, this is our special, you know, as if this was the dream to watch, you know, touchdowns and, and basketball games. And then what gets lost in that is the that there was a a deeply radical bend to Martin Luther King's thought. It wasn't simply a matter of, you know, a lot of times it gets perverted today. I mean, we will see it even being used by uh, people who are very much against the, the Black community or very much against civil rights for any number of communities, as opposed to really understanding that what King talked about as nonviolence was not, you know, simple passivity or, you know, just kind of like constantly turning the other cheek. But it was this, this sort of understanding of the idea of nonviolence was aimed at maintaining and affirming the humanity of the oppressed while searching out and hopefully eventually finding the humanity of the oppressor. That's what it was about. Thank you, Brian, so much. Janine and Brian, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? You know, I think that we're always so excited to just share the people that inspire us. And AfroChic really is uh, a platform at the same time. It's not just us talking about design, but it really is a space where we talk about other people who are doing incredible work in the community, whether it's about food justice. There's an amazing group in New York City called Dine Diaspora that does a lot of work around food justice and really having conversations um, around food equity. Um, There's so many great music artists and incredible artists that are out there as well um, that we are always highlighting. Uh, an, an incredible photographer, Farez McHugh, um, who's from the Canary Islands, who um, really does her work as focuses on Black women um, as, as as sort of the, the main person in her photographs, um, which is extremely important as well. Um, and then literature as well. Are there any people that come off the top of your head, Brian? I think we've been doing actually a lot of reading around critical race theory now. And um, that was something that uh, Janine studied in law school because it's a, it's a legal theory, not something that happens in uh, elementary or public schools. And so uh, really like the works by Kimberly Crenshaw have been are amazing and um, faces of the bo- at the bottom of the well, uh, which is not one of Kimberly Crenshaw's work for the author's name just jumped out of my head. Um, but no, there's a lot of amazing work to be to be done around that. And it's very important reading kind of in understanding, like, as we said, again, the, the current moment that we're in and a lot of the, the structures that make it up. Yeah. And, and you're so right. You know, Sabrina, like Afro Chic really is a world. And so, you know, the books, the 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 food, all of those things people can actually find on like our Pinterest boards, our Instagram, our TikTok. You know, we are always talking about the people who are inspiring us from across the diaspora. Thank you so much for sharing that. And are you talking about, uh, oh, the faces at the bottom of the well, um, the author, did the name come to you? No, it's like uh, Derek Bell. Derek Bell, thank you. I was just reading it. Yes. Okay. Thank you for mentioning that. And then also, uh, Janine, you mentioned Dying dying Diaspora. Yes. As well um, to look into. Well, I want to thank you both. We're going to continue this conversation. Uh, It's just been so great to begin this dialogue and to learn about both of you and Afro Chic. I've been speaking with Janine Hayes and Brian Mason about their project Afro Chic. It's a media and design project. They're 
is a book coming up in the fall and their, their current book is Remix, Decorating with Culture, Objects and Soul. They've got a magazine, a podcast and more. Uh, but I really want to thank you again for joining me and to learn more about Afro Chic. You're welcome to visit AfroChic.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit TrailerTalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. Hi, it's Ari Shapiro. It's important to be informed, but it's also nice to slow down and step back. On All Things Considered, from NPR News, there's room for both. The day's big stories, along with the ancient art of pigeon whistles. Or the sound of a healthy coral reef. Find all of it here with us every afternoon. Weekdays, starting at 4, on Radio Catskill. Hi, this is Austin Bros. I DJ the program Jewel Heist. I call the shows I make salad bar music mixes because you can expect a little bit of everything. Electronic, country, jazz, and whatever in between. I aim to fascinate and entertain every Friday night at midnight here on Radio Catskill. That's Jewel Heist, 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 Jewel Heist. You're listening to Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer... From the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I'm Sabrina. This is Trailer Talk, and I am so excited to be speaking with Janine Hayes and Brian Mason. They are a husband and wife team. They founded Afro Chic, and this is a continuing conversation, so please refer back to my other episode focused on Afro Chic and Janine and Brian. We are going to be talking about what their mission is with Afro Chic. And for this episode, we're going to be focusing in on wellness. We're really going to hunker down and look at what they're doing through that lens. But to give you a little background about who they are and what Afro Chic is, Afro Chic is a modern design and media project that celebrates the African diaspora. They have a book that's been published, Remix, Decorating with Culture, Objects, and Soul. They have a book coming out in the fall, which is going to be about the legacy of the Black family home. And they really are using design, as, as Brian shared with us earlier in the conversation that design is a cultural artifact. And through that, they're really going into explorations and actually a real active mission of engagement, looking at 
social justice, racial equity, looking at representation, and finding ways to do that through their projects. So welcome, Janine and Brian. Thank you so much for having us having us again. Oh, you're so, <laughs> I really love talking to you. Thank you. So if we're going to focus in on wellness, I'm wondering if you can share with us your personal story. I want to share with our listeners that I was following this journey of COVID with Janine and Brian, and I don't want to give too much away, but it's a deep love story. It's it's a, a story of resilience, of fortitude, of commitment, and one that I found a lot of meaning in for me personally. And I'm just wondering if you're able to take us into this journey. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Uh, so to begin the story, I guess it's important to know that Janine and I have been together for 25 years. Uh, we met in our senior year of high school at Philadelphia International Airport. We were getting ready to go on a college tour to a college that neither of us ended up going to. Um, we've been married now for 15 years. And in February of 2020, a little bit before anybody really started talking about it, uh, I contracted COVID. So um I imagine it must have been in February because I got really sick the first week of March and uh, I didn't have any of the normal symptoms. There was no coughing. There was no uh, shortness of breath. There was just sort of a very intense pain in my back and um, went to the doctor, got an x-ray and found out that I had a double pneumonia. And Janine took very good care of me for the next uh, couple of weeks as I recovered, which turns into the next several months uh, waiting for me to recover fully. And along the line there, uh, she actually ended up with a very mild sickness that we didn't realize was COVID at the time, but which turned into long-term symptoms uh, over the course of the year. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it has been an insane journey. It's been, and it has been a wellness journey. Um, I think that we've, changed our life over um, what's happened with us with COVID um, and realized that wellness itself is, is, is serious, is very important. Um, but as black people, it's also, it takes on a revolutionary importance um, to take care of our bodies, to take time away from working all the time and to understand that um, we have to value ourselves completely and um, even learn some bits of medical advocacy and all the things you have to do um, to make sure that you survive any type of illness. Like Brian said, you know, he was sick. He was the most sick in those 25 years we've been together. I had never seen him that sick. So it was really scary when uh, he was dealing with the double pneumonia. And then I got sick very, you know, almost like a 48 hour bug. But then for him, it was scary seeing what I was going through because my body felt like it was sort of turning on me from sort of the spring of 2020, really uh, until uh, about March of 2021, when we started to get help. My symptoms were, you know, take a shower and get out and put my feet on the floor. And then my feet would just turn like all red. And I would be feeling like my feet were on fire. I would eat food that I normally ate every day. We'd eat lunch or something and my throat would start swelling, which I had never mm. experienced in my entire life. Um, uh, clothes that I would normally wear start breaking out and hives and rashes 
And that progressed over 2020 to the point that it was in August 2020 when a doctor um, at the beginning of the week had said, you know, you should get an EpiPen because you're just having all these really weird allergies. And it's just probably a good idea for you guys to have an EpiPen at your house. And we were like, why would we need that? We've never, yeah. you know, had to do anything like that. But fortunately, we were like, all right, well, we'll put in the prescription and pick one up. And by the end of that week, um, Brian had to give me the EpiPen twice um, over two days because I went into anaphylaxis once from eating a hot dog and then the next day um, had an anaphylactic attack again. And I had never been a person that had ever experienced Mm -hmm. anaphylaxis. And so that journey took us on a very wild ride. Um, By September, 2020, we had to leave our apartment in Brooklyn. We were living in Brooklyn at the time. We had to leave our apartment. Everything was making me sick. I couldn't sleep in the bedroom anymore. I had to be in the living room. We had an air purifier next to me and I had to wear a mask 24 seven inside the apartment. And I basically was like this sort of person in a bubble. Like I just couldn't interact with anything anymore. We just made the decision like we have to leave. Something in here is making me sick or we don't know what it is, but, and and the doctors didn't know what it was either. Fortunately, um, an amazing friend said, you know, you can stay at my place and uh, in Manhattan because she wasn't there. She was quarantining elsewhere. And so thank God that she did. and, And she let us stay there. And for that time, I, who was always a really active, talkative person, always running because we lived in New York City and you're just on that 24-7, you know, wheel at that time, barely able to really walk. Um, So I was very slow. It was really, I was very lethargic. I would sleep all the time and wasn't able to sort of move around in the normal way. And I want to add that you were documenting this and sharing this on the Afro Chic Instagram. And I was following your story. We had not met or ever spoken before. And I was interested in your Afro Chic project. And then I saw, because you were sharing it with us, this very frightening, extreme journey that you were both having with COVID, this vulnerability that you were going through as you lost many of your abilities during that time, including being able to even walk and then images of you, Brian, supporting and guiding Janine through this. For me, as somebody watching this story is something that was very scary and also incredibly moving because the commitment that you share with each other is so deep. And that is not always the norm. That's not something we all have in our lives. And it can be very challenging to care for someone that you love under those circumstances. So I um, was interested to speak to you about that. I know that you're now in Napanock, New York, in Ulster County in the Catskills, a neighbor of mine uh, in, in Sullivan County. Uh, but how this informed you in terms of the work that you do with Afro Chic and also your vision of the world, what you realized as you were now focused on wellness? A lot of things that we realized, one, was that my focus was entirely on Janine and how scary and terrible it was for her to go through what she was going through. Uh, Janine's focus was actually more on me. 
and how scary and terrible it was for me to go through what I was going through taking care of her. And I think that that's something that gets lost a lot when, in, when we talk about COVID and the impact that it has. Um, and it's obvious the impact that it's having on people who are infected. But for people who are, are caretaking, I think it's important for them to understand uh, the importance of maintaining their own wellness, the things that they'll have to do, the, the, as you said, the level of commitment that it requires, because if you break down, then everything breaks down. And I know sometimes it can feel like it's too much or you can feel like it's, it's unfair. Um, that can be a strain and a stressor. For me, I will say it didn't matter as long as she got better. Uh, that was really the the only the only goal I had. The only only thing that was of interest to me was to continue to fight and to inspire her to fight. Mm-hmm. Because there were moments mm-hmm. where I could tell that that she was starting to slip away, and that affected me. And it was actually seeing it affect me that inspired her mm-hmm. to start fighting. So thankfully, because we we had that relationship, and because it goes both ways, um, that really got her uh, up and moving again. With regard to Afro Chic and the the project that we have of really kind of, of looking at design and as this, this lens on the, these larger processes that make up our society, there's a lot that it kind of, it brought to mind for us in terms of, you know, as you said, actually, before we started this conversation, you know, that the world has changed. And um, what we're saying is that the world has the opportunity to change. Mm-hmm. And what we realize is the, the decisions we make and who and what we choose to be coming out of this moment will really be definitional of what we are for the rest of the century. So it's very important that we get these things right. COVID really taught us a lot of things. It taught us really that we have this very strange idea in this country that all someone deserves is as much as they can afford. And kind of gave us firsthand an understanding of the, of the how problematic this idea is. You know, Janine and I have no illusions. We survived solely because we were able to afford the level of health care that allowed us to survive. And that wasn't because we do so great or because we make X, Y, Z. It was strictly because of Obamacare. If it hadn't been for the Affordable Care Act, we would not have been able to afford the level of care that we got. Our doctors were all phenomenal. Not every African-American has a, a great health care experience, but we had truly wonderful health care experience. All of our doctors were great. But if we hadn't had that level of insurance to get us through the door in those places. And there were some specialists that I was, I was desperately for a time before we made it to Mount Sinai's post COVID care clinic. There were some specialists that we were trying to reach out to who actually didn't take insurance at all because they had such a high level, you know, high class clientele. And we were like, but everything I'm hearing and reading and even from other doctors, I'm hearing you're the best. You're the only one that can help us. And they were basically going, well, these are the rates. And that to us, we realized that the the problem that that poses, because one thing that we're not thinking about is we're dividing, you know, the number of people who've been killed by this disease a number of ways. But we haven't really looked at is the the level of insurance and the level of care they were able to afford, you know, and the idea that we would divide out care on that basis it's kind of made us look at things a, a much different way. Janine and her work in uh, public policy has always had an eye on human rights. And me and my work in theology and in uh, African diaspora studies has always followed a very similar vein. So we're, we're beginning to, to look differently at even the, the structure of what we consider to be human rights. Yeah, I'm interested what that looks like, what you both think that should look like and how we get there. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, we talk about like home is a human right. I mean, everyone 
should have a home. Everyone should have a, a base way of, of healthy living in this country. We should all have access to healthy foods. We should all have a standard of good healthcare. The treatment that I received should not be um, something that is like magical or like, oh my gosh. I mean, I had people actually in the hospital who were who were working at the hospital who would say, some of the technicians when I had to get my EKGs and stuff, and would say, what kind of health insurance do you have? How do you get all these tests? And I was like, what? You know, I was, and I would tell them like, oh, here's my health insurance. Um, have you gone to New York State of Health? Like you can go there and, and get health care. And I'm actually having conversations telling them. And I'm like, wait, don't you know about this? You work at the hospital. And they're telling me like, no, or I don't get care at this hospital. I can't afford care at the hospital I work at which to me like blew my mind because I didn't realize that we were living in a situation where yeah. I thought that every healthcare worker should at least be able to go to the hospital they work at. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all deserve a standard of, of care. These should just be our basic human rights globally and as a nation. And I think that seeing the inequities um, that COVID has exposed and highlighted, you know, really had for us to take a very strong look at our country and to go like, this doesn't make sense. Um, This isn't right. And there are things that um, if we are one of the wealthiest nations in the world, that there should be no one that is left out. There should be no one that's in the cold. There should be no one that's not able to have that basic sense of care within our society. So that is a discussion that we're having a lot at AfroChic about, we talk about wellness, we talk about healthcare, we share resources in our magazine about some of the different health centers that people can go to. We get DMs from people because they've also followed the story on Instagram. They're saying like, hey, my mother's very sick. She's going through some of the same things you're going through. And I will sit down and answer people and go, well, I looked up your state and there is a post-COVID care clinic there. Those are the best doctors who actually know more about sort of these long haul symptoms. But They shouldn't have to come to us. We want to be a resource, but it should be that they can go to their government. They should be able to go in their local city site, their local um, health provider site. And those those resources should be there. And one of the hopes that we have as AfroChic is to get more engaged Mm -hmm. um, politically, even here in Ulster County. We want to get engaged with our local and our elected officials to make sure that they can also get those resources out there to the community. We're realizing that we've got to get back to, you know, I always say that I always tell Brian, like, oh, I should have been born in the 60s. Like, I always feel like I should have been a teenager at that time, like out there (laughs) marching. Uh, I always looked at that era as like, that was my time. But I realize now that this is a moment where we all have a duty to be there for our communities, to be there for our families, to be there for our friends, um, to make sure that we're giving voice to some of the issues, the inequities that we see in our society. And it does feel overwhelming. It does feel like, oh my gosh, every day there's so much happening. What can we do? But those little acts, when people say those little acts of service you know, add up to a huge difference. They truly do. So sharing uh, word of mouth, going out, talking to neighbors, calling your elected officials, you know, sharing your gift, whatever that is of music, design, food, 
writing and the things that are important to you are critically important to kind of help us get through this very distressing moment in sharing your own personal story. Because I never knew that sharing my story was going to help people. It was just mm-hmm. something that one day on in- an Instagram was like, well, maybe we should tell people what's going on like with us. But it was kind of, you know, you're so used to showing the, the good side of everything yeah. on social media. And we didn't know if it would resonate at all. We were like, I don't know. I'm going to put this out here and see. And what ended up happening was we found that it resonated with so many people and other people started telling us their stories of COVID. But then people started telling us their stories of other health issues that they had been going on for them for years and years and years. And we're saying, I have an immune system issue. I've gone through an issue like you've gone through. And I never talked about it with people. And I was like, share it with people because there's so many of us who have gone through maybe a health journey that you might inspire somebody else that they didn't know, oh, you're an artist, but also you're dealing with a serious health journey. Um, You can inspire someone. So it kind of opened it up for us. Well, and so incredible to think about how powerful it is by sharing one's own story, a personal story, how that then that story becomes part of a larger community as you're sharing with us, Janine, and that that is very impactful. That can aid, you know, help support a connection that we have with each other and also deeper understanding of who our neighbors are and then also help to lift each other up in life. I mean, even before COVID, right? There's so many challenges. It is not often easy, but during this time. It's taught us a lot about the importance of perspective Mm. in that we understand the COVID as this, this terrible pandemic virus, as this, you know, really this ongoing natural disaster. And yet for us, it was important also to begin to have a perspective on it as a teacher and to, to recognize some of the opportunities that COVID is presenting for us to look at things, as, as you said earlier, the things that, that simply aren't working, you know, in the, in the ways that, that we are experiencing them and things that we need to fix, you know, sort of the, the distinction between, you know, not only the, the ways in which people with COVID are treated, but also the, how we are trying to navigate our way through this pandemic, the impatience that seems to be, spurring us forward, sometimes despite scientific advice, sometimes despite all all vestiges of common sense. And, you know, this idea that, you know, we have to get back, we have to get going because the economy requires it. The economy has to keep going. And this this idea of putting the, you know, economic interests over the interests of people becomes very hard. We, we realize that, you know, one of the things that COVID is teaching us is that the economy is imaginary, <laughs> The economy is something that that we make up is something that we all agree to, but the pain and the suffering and the death that's being caused is very real. And so there's an extent to this that, and it's this where we're kind of looking at happens in, in every natural disaster, the amount of damage that's done by the disaster itself. And we could be talking about COVID, we could be talking about Katrina, we can be talking about any number of things, but then there's an additional layer of damage that's done by people who are either unfeeling about the situation or even actively looking to exploit the situation if for one reason or another. And in this instance, we're seeing a lot of people who are being impelled back to work, impelled back into, you know, public spaces, you know, impelled back into restaurants and things like that in a time where it's not really safe and it's not really, you know, the right thing to do. And it's, it's fueling these subsequent surges 
And every time there's a surge, then there becomes a new variant. The new variant brings new worries and new concerns. And it really becomes a question of like, how are we doing this? It also brings up the idea again of, as we talked about earlier, decide how much of human life is designed and by design, Mm -hmm. you know, and part of that design is part of that question that has to be answered is who suffers, you know, when something goes wrong, who bears the brunt of it? And a lot of our our culture is designed, especially again, Jenny talking about in our country, our country is designed so that the brunt of, of every blow is borne largely by communities of color and by women. And so when we talk about, you know, well, COVID is, decimating this this community or that community more so than other communities. What we're not looking at are the historical predecessors, like the things that have come before that basically put this community in the crosshairs to be the ones that suffered the most, whether it was wage inequality or disparities in homeownership or whether it was food justice, a number of pre-existing conditions that that brings about in communities that don't have access to good food or good water, as we talk about in Flint, Michigan or something like that. We have to look at these things holistically and we have to look at them honestly, because now is the opportunity to change them. And if we push past this moment too fast, then we start going back to business as usual. And we just set ourselves up for something worse. Thank you, Brian. Janine, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing so much better than I was a year ago at this time. Um, I work with an amazing medical team and I'm definitely back to like, I would say a good like 90%. I have to still continue to do daily physical therapy because I have nerve damage that COVID caused. And also a lot of people you've probably heard also deal with brain fog, um, which is another thing that I'm still working through. But my hope is that by the spring, I will be able to drive again, which will be exciting for Brian to see yes. in the passenger side as I, as I try to, you know, just take it easy a little bit on these roads and, and do a little yes. bit of driving. Um, that will be fun to to get back to. Oh, thank you so much for filling me in with that. I'm wondering if there's anything else, uh, Janine, you'd like to share, Brian, before we conclude? Well, you know, I think that just as we talk about COVID and, you know, we are a, a design brand, we are a media brand, and I want to let people know it really all does come back to home still, even when we're talking about something like the pandemic. And one of the things that was really apparent, again, with COVID like highlights these these equity issues in our in our country was when the pandemic first started in 2020, one of the things that we saw, especially in New York City, was that white families were able to leave the city very quickly, like people were able to get up, I had friends selling their their condos, people selling their homes, some clients and people that we knew were going, I'm going to my second home that's in, you know, another part of the state or even another state altogether, or I'm going to, I have a second home I rent and I'm going to a third home that's like down in Florida. And African-Americans have like nowhere to go. It was like third, like second home. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have a second home. I have like this apartment and that is it. And then there are a lot of people that also live in multi-generational homes where you have the grandparents that could be exposed because grandchildren are living in the home and children are living in the home. And so I want people to understand that 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 not having access to home has really compounded a lot of the issues in our community. The final thing is not having access to a healthy home also has compounded a lot of the issues. And it's something that Brian and I have really been working on because we did become homeowners through this pandemic 
process, but um, everything in our home because of COVID and my allergies and all these things that happened in my body has to be healthy. We had to have water-based paint to paint with. We had to make sure that we use, you know, low VOC natural materials as possible in any renovation we've done in this home. That comes down to our food too. Everything has to be organic. I can't eat anything that's been processed or has chemicals on it because again, I can go through anaphylaxis. Um, but then that becomes an issue of access. Yes. How do you get to have organic foods all the time? We're so lucky because we are here now in Ulster County where there seems to be just the most delicious, amazing food all around you all the time. Our neighbors come and bring over like fresh apples and, and all types of things for us. When we were in the city, we didn't have access, um, mm-hmm. particularly when we were living in Crown Heights. There wasn't a lot of fresh foods at our, our grocery store. You'd go in and sometimes even the fruit would not be very fresh. That lack of access is also an issue. So, you know, when people are thinking about COVID and they might just be thinking about illness, we also have to think about food justice. We also have to think about housing justice. And those things also have to come into any plan to fix our society and and hopefully have a better world for all of us moving forward. Thank you so much, Janine, for sharing that. And I want to thank you both, Janine and Brian, for speaking with me and continuing this dialogue about the work that you're doing with AfroChic and sharing also this personal journey that you've both gone through with COVID. So thank you for that. Thank Thank you, you, Sabrina. It was so nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for two great conversations. I have been speaking with Janine Hayes and Brian Mason from AfroChic. And AfroChic is a modern design and media project. And to find more about this project, please visit AfroChic.com. There's so much information there. They were both just talking to me about their journey with COVID and so many important issues came up in this world that we want to see get better. We, we want to see move in the right direction. So many deficits have been exposed and we were in a conversation about that. And Brian said the importance of perspective and really looking at this as an opportunity and discovering what those are and how we can each individually move forward to make this a better world. So I really want to thank them again. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. Support comes from Restorative Management, a new treatment provider of outpatient substance abuse services, now in Monticello, serving Sullivan County. Are you or a family member impacted by drugs or alcohol? Information and assistance at 845-250-1115 or restorativemanagement.com. From the Cooperage Project in Honesdale, thecooperageproject.org, and from listeners like you. There's a lot going on right now. Threats to representative government and speech freedom that are not merely theoretical. They're real and here, and they'll touch us all one way or another. I'm Brooke Gladstone from WNYC Studios on the Media. 
want to understand the narratives that got us here, what it means, and what's a citizen to do? That's on the media's specialty. Check it out. Saturday afternoon at 4 on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville. Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support comes from The Vintage House on Main Street, Jeffersonville, featuring eclectic furnishings, clothing, antiques, records, and books in a charming 19th century house. VintageHouseJville.com and on Instagram at VintageHouseJville.